This podcast was made possible by our Leadership Circle members, Susan Orr, Randy Pond, and Lisa Sonsini. Our class matchers, Greg Avis, Jim Baer, Ned Barnhold, Eric Benamou, Shelley Brown, Chuck Etchke, Nancy Handel, Dottie Hayes, John Holler, Greg and Karen King, Jim Koshland, Larry Keekler, and Yvonne Montez Dioka, George Marcus, Webb McKinney, C.S. Park, Karen Rudolph, Steve Smith, Charmaine Warmanhoven, and Jane Williams. We thank them so much for their support. Welcome to The Dialogue. I'm Suzanne St. John Crane. In November of 2016, Santa Clara County voters approved a $950 million affordable housing bond projected to fund 120 new affordable housing developments over 10 years, including 4,800 new units for extremely low-income and very low-income individuals. In October of 2018, I sat down with Supervisor Cindy Chavez, an architect of Measure A and Senior Fellow of Class 12, and San Jose City Councilman Raul Perales of Class 31 at a San Jose Rotary Club meeting to hear what Measure A-funded developments are in progress, in the pipeline, and having difficulty getting through the public approval process. What is our role as Bay Area residents in bringing this housing to fruition? And what opportunity does it bring the Bay Area? Let's listen. Well, I want to thank our esteemed guests here for joining us. I know uh, it was a long day for uh, for a couple of us yesterday. A lot going on in this space and a lot to talk about today. My hope is that we continue to go on this learning journey together, understand what's being done around homelessness, uh, how dollars and resources are being deployed, and have a healthy conversation about how the Rotary Club can make a difference and be a part of the solution in the coming year and beyond. So. My goal is to try and get through and leave about five to 10 minutes for questions. We'll see how we do. Um, and just so grateful you could be here today, Raul and Cindy. So thank you. I want to start out with just kind of getting a, a, a lay of the land here. I mean, getting Measure A pass was a, was a monumental task. And I, I distinctly remember talking to, to you, Cindy, and you said, yeah, now, now the real work begins. And so how's the work going is my question. I mean, we've had PATH First Community Housing Home First on our first panel. We, we got a sense of what's in the pipeline, at least from those organizations. But the goal is 4,300 new supportive housing units in the next 10 years. So where are we? So, so uh, first of all, I'm just, where's President Gary? Right here. King, do you, President King, what do, you, do you have a preference? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I wanted to say how much I appreciate that you've asked the Rotary to take this topic on. It's so complicated, and being able to have conversations about it is really helpful, because if it wasn't complicated, it would have been solved already. So let me start by saying that in front of all of you, you have a sheet of paper that is just a snapshot of Measure A. And before I talk about that, let me just make a couple points about the county relative to homelessness. In the last, I think, three years, in partnership with the city of San Jose and other cities, we have quintupled the number of shelter beds available. We have collectively worked together with Home First and Destination Home and a number of other organizations to house some of the hardest to house people. And what we know is that we've been able to keep those people housed at about 90%. Now these are chronically homeless people and that's important because that laid the groundwork really for Measure A. What that told us was that housing first works, now we need the housing. 
And I can see Jeff Morgan saying, yes, we do need the housing. So, um, so much of what the county did prior to Measure A was house people in partnership really with leases and rents. And one of the challenges with that is not owning those properties means that they don't stay affordable in perpetuity. So let's go to the next slide. Let's see if that, so here's what we've done so far, and let me say to every one of you in the room who helped us with Measure A, thank you. We won by less than a percentage point, so we needed every single one of you. So if you see this, what you see is that thus far, out of our first tranche of money, we have 817 units in the pipeline. Our oversight board, which is like, Got already gotten awards for being the most gnarly. I, I mean that affectionately because I know that um, the assessor's on it. Or don't you boo when I say his name, assessor? Larry Boo. So, um, and, and what they've declared is that we're actually ahead of schedule. So imagine that, a government program ahead of schedule. Um, so if you go to the next slide, what you'll see is these are projects that are already in the pipeline. You can go to the next one, too. These are projects that are in the pipeline already. Now, if you stop at this slide, what you'll see is that we're at 117 units that we're in the process of uh, producing. And what's important about that is that is less the 160 units that the county is already funded with general fund dollars that's on Center Road, that's on county property, and with a county investment in our partnership with Catholic Charities. So we are really focusing on what are we producing with Measure A. So in the next 10 years, it looks like, I mean, so We're far on track it. ahead of schedule. We're going to make it. That's exciting. And I want to I want to turn to you, uh, Raul, just about the early leadership role that you've, you've, t you've taken. And, you know, this is not an easy thing to do. I've been at some of these community meetings where, you know, the conversation and the pushback is, is pretty brutal. Um, so thank you for your leadership in this. And how many units, given that this is the San Jose Rotary Club, um, how many units you anticipate... Um, uh, coming to downtown San Jose, you know, what's in the pipeline right now? And is that all 100% supportive housing or what's the division? Yeah, and, uh, and I too wanted to start and just say thank you to President Gary as well. Um, really, really happy that you've taken this on and that the club has taken this on uh, as a priority issue. And I think this is the right group of influencers to continue to move forward with solutions to actually ending homelessness. So I want to say thank you. Uh, and I want to just give a little shout out to Karen DeHart, who uh, sang earlier, uh, we're excited, Karen, about our taxes next year. Karen does my taxes. Uh, my, my wife and I are expecting Random. our first child in four weeks, Karen, so she's been waiting for us. So <laughs> our taxes will look a little better next year. So, um, so the, the, the actual hard number for you is actually here in, in uh, District 3, uh, namely downtown, uh, is 332 units of supportive housing in the pipeline for homeless. And uh, these are in projects like Villas on the Park, Second Street Studios at the south end of my district, so a little bit outside of downtown, uh, in North San Pedro. And then if you include in, and this is, it's, a, you know, it's kind of our, our newer wave, which we'll be trying out, hopefully uh, opening up by this December, is our bridge housing communities. And so those are you know, permanent supportive housing. They're certainly supportive housing. We'll be having supportive services there on site. We have 40 that we're hoping to get off the ground. So if you add those in, uh, we're about 372. And if we can get the 80 that we're actually environmentally clearing, then we're over 400 in the pipeline. And uh, excited about those numbers coming forward. 
in some of those community meetings, you know, what I've heard too, being in District 9 and having been to a couple of them, um, there's just a huge perception problem, right? And there are a lot of myths that, that are expressed. And, and I, I want to I ask you, how do you bust those? How do you talk about this? Things like, um, you know, are the residents getting background checks? Are my home values going to plummet if bridge housing is, is next door to my home? Um, if more homeless housing is built, more homeless people will come here. All those sorts of things I've heard publicly. How do you address that? Yeah, absolutely. And this this goes to really the the foreshadowing that Cindy was was making. After you know, sure, we had the success of Measure A, and we have those dollars. Um, but the challenges now lie ahead in actually getting these developments approved and built, uh, and getting them done. And as we're tracking right ahead of time, um, is certainly no easy task. And I would say the hardest part about it is to overcome community opposition and then ultimately hopefully turn that into community support. And these are the concerns that come up and, and I would say um, my approach has been number one for me personally as well, not just to ask our housing staff or other individuals, but me myself as the elected representative of the community with projects in my district to come forward to address those concerns head on. And hope, or not hopefully, but, but um, fortunately, the facts are in our favor. Things like 80% um, plus of homeless tend to be originated from whatever city that they are now homeless in. They're, they're locals. It, it's not some sort of uh, attraction to, to be building permanent supportive housing in a city that somehow now uh, makes it attractive for others to want to come to that city. And this is across the board. For all major cities that are dealing and suffering with homelessness, uh, the vast majority, nearly 80% of individuals, are from those cities. Um, additionally, the facts are there to, to show proof that home values do not decrease. In fact, it's, it's actually the opposite in a lot of cities where we see home values, property values for private property owners uh, as well as for city and, and other uh, individual owners around there, they increase. And we see, uh, and, it, and if you look at it logically, it makes sense. If we're improving an area by being able to get people off the street, um, it, 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 it turns around the whole neighborhood. And so the facts are in our favor, so I, I use those facts, obviously, and, and confront some of these issues head on. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've been successful in a, in a number of cases. Right. Cindy, uh, certainly we've got folks in our community with strong opinions about how this should be fixed, how this should be tackled, and what the timeline should be. We, we saw evidence of that yesterday. Certainly this has been playing out in the media as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about the sanctioned encampments or the tent cities idea. Um, Hope Village, as an example, being one that, that's, that's in play right now. I guess the question is, are allowing these sorts of of sanctioned encampments? Is that really pulling away resources that could be spent on building supportive housing? What, what's your thought on that? Because Hope, Hope Cities is for 14, maybe up to 30 people. Is that really tackling the problem? Is this going to be a model for the future? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? So I, I think that because we're in a crisis, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And let me start by saying, my own belief is that had we invested in permanent supportive housing 20 and 30 years ago, actually when some of our advocates were asking us to do that, we would be looking at a very different situation than we are today. So I can't emphasize enough that from my perspective, building permanent supportive housing and using our pennies as wisely as we can to make those long-term investments and maintain those assets so that they stay permanent supportive housing in perpetuity is critical. 
That being said, and really this has been something that Supervisor Cortez and I know Don Rocha and I think Raul, you as well, have been saying to us, yeah, 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 but we gotta deal with human suffering and misery. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that if we don't figure out a way um, to expand those interim services, essentially what we're saying is a person who is houseless is an illegal person. Because there's no place for them to sleep, there's no place for them to use the restroom, there's no place for them to take a shower, there's no place for them to do their laundry. And so we have to not say that people in our community are unwelcomed and unlawful. Like their existence, being, being homeless is unlawful. Being in po poverty in this country is unlawful. And that's a backwards way of thinking about it. So that being said, we have been working on car parks, in fact, in partnership with the city of San Jose and the city of Mountain View. Um, and I forgot the third city, but we're looking at expanding those partnerships. The other thing we're looking at is we're gonna increase the number of and types of shelters. So for example, in partnership with Raul, we're gonna be um, opening an LGBTQ shelter, I'm sorry, a transgender shelter, one that will focus on transgender um, Young adults Youth and adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of what took place yesterday and, and the whole question of the annex, I mean, let's, let's hit this head on a little bit. I mean, we have passionate members of our community that want to be a part of the solution, right? And the challenge, as you said, is walking and chewing gum at the same time. What resources do we put where? My question to you is, is there another location where this sort of a, a facility can be put. I mean, there's gotta be another location where this sort of facility right. can exist. And, and so thank you for asking that question because I know it must be confusing to see a board that's been so passionate about housing say, not this way. And so let me tell you what the debate from my perspective was about and what I think the solution is. First of all, in partnership, not just with the city of San Jose, but if you don't know this, we've also reached out to the college districts, the school districts, VTA, and a number of other um, public agencies to say, let's partner to get housing built, permanent housing built. So for example, with VTA, they have 200 acres and 25 sites that are gonna be up for an RFQ or RFP. They're in some stage of that. The, the board, myself and, um, and Raul and the mayor asked for a, a criteria that across all 200 acres that 35% of all that acreage had to be affordable and 15% of that has to be set aside for extremely low income housing. That's a model we stole from LA, but that's a way to start to increase opportunities for using public land. In the area that we're in right now, the, the annex, if, if um, once the annex is scraped, what, this, what the county will be proposing are two different developments on that same site because at the corner of that is our reentry center. And some of you may remember, I came and talked to you a little bit about jail reform and the work we were doing on that and the, the services that are connected to that. So what we're looking at is doing an RFQ for both transitional housing, which we know we need, we wouldn't be using Measure A money for that, but also a large um, supported, permanent supportive housing on that site because what we wanna be able to do there is go not four stories, but nine because we don't have that much land left. And so every place we have land and every place we have money, we've gotta be ruthlessly disciplined about how we invest it or we're not gonna hit the numbers that we talked about earlier. And is it, I appreciate that, that explanation. I'm sure others here do too. I mean, is it, is it fair to say that because we've had, I think, a healthy conversation and debate and dialogue and people um, uh, getting passionate about this, right, that it's really pushed the county too to think, okay, 
how do we actually step up our game? Well, in let terms me just say what really, this? you know, we don't have time for the background and you don't have cocktails, but if we do, I'll, I can meet you after lunch <laughs> and have this conversation. But here are the two great outcomes from that. One is that the site that the county's on is considered an urban village site. But the way the city has structured those urban villages, we weren't going to be up for development for many, many years to come. The good news that came out of that, really because of the leadership of John Sobrato and Jim Salata as they went to the city of San Jose and said, we, how fast can you um, rezone this? And the outcome of that is the city has made a commitment that if we meet deadlines, they're going to do this within a year, which means that we had done a big EIR and a bunch of planning without the housing there because we'd been told by the city we, could, we were not in line uh, at the right time. So this is creating the opportunity for us to house not maybe two to 300 people, but more six, 600 people, and that's what we should be doing. I want to ask you both, too, I mean, one of the things that is so b visible to us, especially, I, w I would say, you know, when we're at the Summit Center and we go to our Rotary meetings and we see, you know, for those of us that walk there, I mean, just the mentally ill homeless people are so visible and, and so vulnerable, right? right? right. And, you know, some cities have, t have instituted a policy uh, around, almost a forced, you know, forcing people indoors if they are endangered to themselves, or a danger to themselves. How do you two feel about that? I mean, is there a, um, what, are the, what are the answers for the mentally ill homeless? Joel, do you want to start with that? Sure, yeah. Um, well, and as Cindy was pointing out, like our success rate right now of keeping people housed in permanent supportive housing is upwards of 90%. Um, which is great because yeah. a lot of other cities with permanent supportive housing are more around 80%. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's very successful, but you also have to look at, well, who is it not successful for, right. right? Because obviously these are some of the individuals that may be the most challenging to be able to provide support and keep them housed. Uh, and a lot of those individuals tend to be people that are suffering from severe mental illness. Um, and we see that and we recognize that for a lot of individuals that see homeless out on the streets, the, the first sort of image in your mind is the person that is, is probably not your traditional homeless individual. It's not the, the, the you know, large population of homeless. It's a small minority that are suffering from not only severe mental illness, but then you tack everything else onto that. Alcohol, drug addiction, uh, if they've been homeless for 15 plus years, and, and everything that may come along with that. And they're just very visible. That's, very, that's and very visible. Image, right? yeah. and, um, and a lot of these individuals aren't even necessarily in, uh, out in our streets that you may see. For instance, my own neighbor has suffered from alcoholism, mental illness. This is the, uh, a young man, son of, of, of the, the woman that lives there and off and on again has been homeless, and, um, but you know, will, will try to come back home and, and struggle at home and, and kind of go back out in the street. And, and even then this morning, before I was leaving, he was painting his face outside and sitting on his roof, and, um, and he'll, you know, we, my wife and I hear him screaming at night. And, and this is an individual that you don't necessarily see on the street. Nobody really sees him besides the four neighbors that live around us, right, and his, and his mother. Um, but he's suffering from severe mental illness and, and other additives that go with it. And I think that the reality is, is that yes, that there are some people in our communities that are suffering so severely uh, that we need another tool to be able to help them. Yeah. Cindy. So th this is a really difficult um, question. And so let me tell you what the county's doing now, but where I think we're gonna need to be, because I don't, I don't think we're gonna get, get there with the tools that we have to date. So um, f four things. One, that that reentry center I talked about earlier is gonna have, have built into it in the next, I think, six months, a pre-booking diversion uh, 
location. And so what that means is when an officer picks someone up who's severely mentally ill, they're going to be able to bring them to a place that allows us to try to connect them with services. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we're expanding the number of mental health beds that we have initially by 500. And we're working really hard with our nonprofit partners to find placement because really that's where you can deal with the very serious drug and alcohol and mental health issues. So that's the second thing. And then once that's done, we're looking for a higher level of bed that we're looking at a number of almost 700. And again, we're gonna be working with our nonprofit partners to figure out how to do this for, for more permanent and semi-permanent placement. And then in partnership with the city of San Jose's police officers, we're just beginning this, and the, in the city of Palo Alto, we're partnering officers so that they can call a, a, a mental health worker when they come upon someone who's mentally ill, so they don't necessarily have to arrest them, but we can pre-divert them to services. And then the last thing we're taking a look at um, that, the, that the county's kind of excited about is family finding. Because the point you just raised about your neighbor is one that we hear kind of a lot, which is you have adult adult children right. who are mentally ill, they run away or they, they, they end up in New York and a parent is looking for them, they get arrested and because they're adults, there's no phone call. No right. one says this is where they are, they're in New Mexico, they're in Arizona, they're in New York. So we're really trying to work on family finding because we think connecting them is really important. But here's the big question, and you didn't ask it exactly this way, but I'm just gonna say it. This is like the annex or these little, little elephants in the room or bigger this might be a platypus, I don't know. But the real question is, under what terms and conditions as a society do we take someone else's freedom away and do we put them in a locked facility other than a jail? And we don't have agreement, we don't have a shared norm on this, but I have asked the county to take a look at, taking a look at the locked facilities we currently have and expanding them so we can do a pilot program in partnership with families and the courts because under some terms and conditions, we don't do that, and the person's a victim. It's not just that they're victimizing other people, but they are sexually assaulted on the street, they are robbed, they are beaten, and, right. and, you know, and so it's a tough discussion, and we're gonna have to, as a community, dive deep into this so that we make sure that the pendulum doesn't swing back the other way, which it did for a long time, right? We, right. we, inter we incarcerated, literally incarcerated people who were too loud or obnoxious or whose family members were annoyed with them. Right, right. No, and I think going on tours to the jungle back in the day with Home First and I think being a part of these conversations, I mean, it is heartbreaking the side effects that some of these folks experience when they do go on medication for bipolar or for other um, diseases that they don't want to take the medicine because it's so bad and so they flip the other way. I mean, it's heartbreaking, right? But huge ethical questions. I agree. Raul, did you have a... Yeah, I just thought? wanted to add and, yeah. and you know, there's a pilot project that's gonna be in the works with uh, San Francisco, LA, and San Diego to see if, you know, kind of pushing that needle a little further to see about, um, you know, who should we be holding for how long? Um, so that, that kind of going back towards, as, as you described, the swinging the pendulum back towards institutionalizing individuals that are suffering from a mental illness that haven't necessarily broken a law, right. um, but yet need more support than the tools that we have currently can provide studying best practices to see what, what we can institute here. The county has come out not in favor of carving out Measure A dollars for specific populations, but you know you have expressed interest, right? And in, in how do we actually find dollars to really to to set aside and build housing for mentally ill or for other populations? Where are those where are those resources going to come from? How is that idea developed? Cindy? So what I think 
um, what you're talking about is that we had a debate about whether or not we should take a portion of Measure A, 5% of Measure A, and set it aside specifically for populations that were developmentally disabled. And right now, what we do do in our, with our funds is that with the 700 million, oh, we don't have that chart, but if you have it in front of you, if you look at the, the chart we have in front of you, with that 700 million, we're trying to make sure that if we're building a facility or we're investing in a facility that we're not just having, um, spending money on very low or extremely low income, one, one group of people over another, but that we're packaging them. So if we're gonna have um, per, uh, ELI uh, people in a particular development, that we're gonna have some that are permanently supported housing, some that may be developmentally disabled, some that may be victims of domestic violence. So we really are trying to package them because what we know will happen and you saw this happen in the city of San Jose. I was, I was part of this and cities across the, the county, which is we invested a lot of money in senior housing because it was acceptable sometimes. And by the way, sometimes people yelled at us about senior housing too. And as a matter of fact, in Palo Alto, they did a referendum over a low-income senior housing project. So wow. not even seniors are safe. But the, the reality is, is that we need to make sure we're very inclusive or we are not going to address this problem. Yeah. I think what the board saw was that we could do a special kind of a partnership with the San Andreas Regional Center. So we asked the, the staff to go back and take a look at how do we get resources for this population. But I haven't given up on working with them on, on not separating our communities, because I think that is devastating to us hitting the numbers that we know as a community we need to hit. Kind of a similar theme to Raul Measure V coming to the city um, is really about, about uh, ensuring that we've got housing for the teachers, for folks at our service sector, et cetera. It is kind of carving out in a way, and I think in talking to some of my compadres, there's this uh, deja vu a little bit. Didn't we just pass that Measure A How's Measure V different, and how are we? How is the city really navigating that? Yeah, it's, it, well, it's the, definitely there's some similarities there, right? And there are right. there are dollars that are going to be in Measure V um, that will that will add to the dollars that Measure A was able to put in place as well. We knew when Measure A was passed, it was not enough, and that was one big message that I know Cindy was putting out there that uh, you know th this is going to help us start, but also going to be leverage. Right. Well, this is the city now, in addition to putting in, and, and Measure V is $450 million bond for housing. We've spread the, the, the ability a little, a little bit further than what Measure A did. And a lot of what we were hearing back, especially myself when I come forward with some of these projects and when I am actually able to get community members to not only be in opposition but to support a permanent supportive housing project, usually the last message that they leave me with is, well, what are you doing for me? You know, I'm a teacher here at San Jose High uh, and I'm struggling, right? I've got two kids, um, you know, my husband and I don't make very much. Um, is the city, is the county gonna start, you know, putting money into to those, uh, to those areas of, of, of income? And so we are. So with this, actually, we're going up to 120% of the area medium income. Now it's, it's uh, confusing, so I'll give you a, a, an image. Uh, family of four can be earning up to $150,000 and qualify for a chunk of money, 75 million of the 450 million is gonna be for 80 to 120% of AMI. So now I can tell some of these families that have been voting for things like Measure A and we're gonna ask to vote for Measure V that won't qualify for the extremely low income, they're not below 30% of the poverty line, right. but um, 
But maybe they are a family of four that's going, yeah, we only combined are making $127,000. And so they will qualify. And so this, it, it just spread it out a little bit. It also addresses, again, all the way down to below 30% uh, for those that are homeless. And so uh, we desperately need more of those resources. And, and, and we needed to spread it out a little bit. So that's what we did with this measure. Appreciate that. And I've got one final question before we open it up for some Q&A, if we want to get the, the mics ready. You know, if, if yesterday, if this Rotary Club, if there's, you know, anything that shows we're passionate, right, it's, it's what happened yesterday and what, you know, President Gary has been, has been uh, talking about and really rallying our club around. So knowing how complex this issue is, knowing the tools that you have in place, knowing the dollars that are available, how can this group, right, of, of influencers and community leaders that are super passionate about this, what's our call to action? <laughs> I'll start. Um, well, first off, yes, you can vote yes for Measure V. Um, absolutely. Uh, and encourage uh, your neighbors and, and those that you can influence to vote for it as well. But I would say to get a little bit more to the core of where you as an influencer, uh, number one is actually what President Gary is doing now, is be educated on the actual truth and the facts. Uh, a lot of times what ends up being, the stories that end up being told um, are stories out of fear. And they're not fact-based. And uh, we know we see a lot of that in today's day and age, um, coming from, from the, all the way at the top. And, and so being well-informed and then being able to actually preach that. And I would say no better place than, you know, it's, it's great to come and step up for a project that may be, you know, in, in other parts of the city or even throughout. Uh, and we ask that all the time, support some of these projects. I ask my community members in District 3 come forward and support projects, whether they're in my district or not. But when something hits close to home, that's when right push comes to shove. And when there's a permanent supportive housing project that's being proposed near your neighborhood, um, if you can, one, be the one that's well-informed, speak the truth, but then more importantly, be an advocate for it. Step up for those knowing that you are now well-informed and you, you can compete with that argument of, oh, this is gonna drop our property value. And you can look to the statistics. And so that way, it's not just one or two people like myself coming forward and saying, uh, this is why these are positive. So you can do that yourself. I would say that's uh, the call to action uh, that I give to you today. Cindy, anything to add before we open it up? I think we've got about five minutes for Q&A. Just very briefly, you know, we, um, in partnership with the city of San Jose, have worked on the veteran, getting veterans housed. And I think that's really a beautiful thing, and it really does acknowledge people's sacrifice and holds them up in a way that we all recognize is well-deserved. The other thing is, when we did our point-in-time study this last time, we had an emphasis on really focusing on young people, and I think all of us were surprised at how many homeless families there were and how many homeless children there were. So one of the things I'm going to be asking for help from the community is to focus on some of these populations, particularly foster youth. And the reason is the state of California is going to put some money locally for, you know, it, um, through Jim Bell and other leaders that is going to allow us to build housing for foster youth and housing for families. And again, this is a partnership I hope to have with the college districts and the schools, and we're going to need your help as advocates. And also for those of you who develop, come and talk to us about how to do that. Excellent. Thank you both for, for your time and information. Thank you so Gary. much, Suzanne, Cindy, and Raul. Now, we do have some time for Q&A, and please try to keep your questions as short as possible because we'd like to accommodate as many as possible. My name is Walter Wilson. Um, thank you, Cindy and Raul. We appreciate your advocacy, and Suzanne, thank you very much. 
Um, I'm on the county's Children Health Improvement uh, Plan uh, Committee, and I have been for three years. And housing is a key issue for uh, children. There are tons of children that go to sleep in this county every night that, that sleep outdoors or in people's garages. So this is very important for, for our um, initiative. It's also a health issue, more importantly. You know, where people don't have homes, they have major, major health problems. But my question more is more dealing with um, in building these projects, uh, and I, I've heard this from people, even particularly from NIMBYs. So it's like, so these projects are built, poor and disadvantaged people are off the streets and they're in, they're in one place. Is there a plan or is there a workforce development uh, component to these projects so people can have the opportunity to be upwardly mobile and progressive? Thank you. So yes, with the county, um, with the county's programming and support, there is um, both programming and opportunities for job training. And that's one of the reasons we're so interested in the reentry center as a way to connect people who are coming out of jail um, right away with those. Uh, but yes, the answer to that is yes. Thank you. And Julie? Yeah. Thank you both for, <clears throat> thank you both for your service. We appreciate your being here today. So my question is for you, Cindy. Yesterday, uh, the Board of Supervisors voted 3-2 to uh, demolish the old City Hall annex. Um, yet, you wrote in a memo to the Board of Supervisors, and I quote, it is wise to seek innovative and even unconventional means to fulfill the county's core mission of serving vulnerable populations. Yet, you had a proposal to that was innovative. Uh, could you explain what other ideas you have in mind to meet this goal? So that's an excellent question. And I think some of what I talked about in terms of partnering with VTA, with the college districts, with the school districts, so that we have access to more land is one. I think the other that, um, and we can have a disagreement about what happens with the annex, except to say that I do think that's an appropriate place for housing, and we're going to go through a process to put housing there. I also just want to comment on Destination Home. I think they have done an excellent, excellent job of really reaching out and capturing the imagination of some of our business community, which I think is one of the very best ways that we can get the flexible money we need to be able to build out these facilities with multiple populations in mind and not just that which covers Measure A. As a downtown resident, I'm certainly proud that our two representatives are leading this charge. Uh, but Raul, I'm particularly interested in what you feel will have to be done to get the other council members to support this effort, not just supporting building permanent supportive housing in downtown, but support it in their areas as well, because this is a citywide issue. And I think that's important to build citywide support. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and in fact, I was actually just looking at a letter that was submitted from two of my colleagues, Councilwoman Deb Davis and Councilwoman Johnny Camus, to the county, encouraging them um, to retain the annex for the use of uh, on yesterday's yesterday's vote, retain it for use of, of permanent supportive housing or, or interim housing. Um, I have yet to see a strong worded letter in the same context from either of those individuals for a project in their own district. Um, even when the council committed uh, three years ago when we were choosing bridge housing community sites or when we were electing to, to, to actually embark in that program, the commitment from the, the council was one in every council district 
So 10, each of them potentially 40 units. And then the, the task was, or the charge, was go out and find a, a location with our housing team and right, our planning team, find a location in the district, bring it forward. And each council member to suggest a site where they would be willing to go out and lead the charge. It didn't happen. Uh, he was, he was we're doing the bridge breath, housing community in District 3, so. Ladies and gentlemen, now. Additional support for American Leadership Forum comes from Eris, Cisco Systems, Jim Baer, Microsoft, Sobrato Philanthropies, and Silver Lake. ALF is passionately committed to building diverse networks of leaders focused on personal and community transformation in order to create an inclusive and thriving Silicon Valley. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and subscribe to The Dialogue on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please visit us online at alfsv.org.